Welcome to episode number 22. My name is Mike Pesfina and I've got my co-host here. This is Amit Pandit. And this is the Enterprise and Suck Less podcast. Um, we've got a really great guest here today. We've got Mark Wilkinson. Mark, if you want to give an introduction to yourself. Oh, well, I appreciate being here, actually. Uh, so, Mark Wilkinson, I um, am an English transplant in the Bay Area. Uh, so, this is my best Californian accent. It's also my only Californian accent and probably should stop there. Um, I've been here now for about five years and came across as part of you know, the, the working within Hewlett-Packard and now I'm part of uh, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, run one of the uh, portfolios around mobility, workplace and network. Excellent. Uh, I think we're pretty excited to have you here because you've got a lot of experience in this space and I think you've got a lot of opinions about a lot of the topics we talk about here. Um, I think one of the big ones I think we want to start off with, and it'll probably go in a hundred different directions given, <laughs> given how all of us talk about and, and talk passionately about all this stuff is I think one of the things that we always see and really struggling is large, large businesses and the inertia that they have, right. And bringing innovation into that play in, into play there. How are companies doing that? What are you seeing? What do you guys see? Cause you're at the forefront of that. Right. Yeah, I think uh, it, it is. It's a source of frustration. I think you know the the bring your own device revolution or, or the employee revolution that was bring your own device really was uh, crystallizing the fact that frankly employees and we're all employees are, are fed up, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's frustrated in you know either you know why am i putting up with this stuff at, in the office when i've got better at home and actually can i not just bring it in but all the way through to you know process is good but process needs to be aligned with the way i want to work and the way that it actually enables you know acceleration um i think john chambers was you know often uh, cited as being the person who talked about, you know, it's not the big that beats the small, it's the fast that beats the slow. I mean, really, it's it's Darwin, but, you know, ultimately, to me, it wasn't the fast beating the slow, it's actually the fast eating the slow. Mm-hmm. And and I think we have an opportunity, and, and, and enterprises that will be successful are ones that can capitalize on speed and, and the agility that goes with it. Unfortunately, there are too many, you know, antibodies or that's not the way we do it, that it isn't an easy process. It isn't an easy thing for people just to adopt. Yeah, I love the uh, and the analogy of antibodies there because it almost suggests that there's a certain kind of um, approach and um, medicine, if you will, or treatment, a certain dialogue, a certain conversation that works with uh, larger companies when they're trying to innovate versus, um, you know, really early adopters who love um, using almost any kind of technology. Are there certain things in your experience with um, working with the Fortune 100, if you will, as customers, where you've seen that um, there are certain framing techniques that help get decision makers on the other side of the table to even start having this conversation? There are there are some things I think that are well established, right? We've we've often talked about the the value proposition and the value framework, and and really that's 
if you like, applied to a sales cycle, right? How do I you know, start a conversation, move a conversation to conclusion, and then you know, close the deal? And, and I think we, you know, that hasn't really changed forever. People have refined it. We've got better at it. We bring more insight into it, right? So the whole return on investment. But it's usually you know, a provider or, or a manufacturer talking to a buyer, and the buyer and the user are not actually the same. And then the the value consumption actually is potentially a consumer, not the user, right? So if you think about you know, whether it's software, right, an employee might be the person who's using a software to produce something that's then consumed by an external customer. So I think that we we are familiar with a framing concept, right, around value, but we don't actually take it the full value chain and we leave the purchaser or maybe the you know the authoritative you know we should buy that the recommendation you almost you know this is blank for the reader to doodle on right you great you've 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 made me uh, my quota right thank you see you later and i wander off now the enterprise is left going well well, now what do we do? You know, and, and, and even when we talk about software as a service, often people go, well, I, I bought software as a service. Well, now what? Well, it, and that's interesting, right, in terms of the increasing importance of uh, customer success in the last few years and why that part of SaaS is going more gangbusters than some of the other parts of SaaS. Yeah, I think the, you know, the interesting thing, the thing that's overlooked, I think, in SaaS is that you're not just buying the software, you're not buying the business model, you're buying the business process as well. You're adapting to what is standardized. And on, on one end, you've got a lot of clients that use the SaaS products and they fail because they, do not, they don't adapt to it. Or they go back to the vendor and say, this isn't working. On the other hand, a lot of those processes are being driven in those SaaS products are being driven by the actual end users, right? The, the ones that are successful. And, and there's sort of this like almost revelation, right? For senior executives that are using the SaaS products to be like, oh crap, this is actually how our users are using the system. I mean, mobile is a great example of that, right? Um, you know, we've, we've talked about, um, you know, some, some products out there now with, uh, in the Salesforce area that are, are doing CR, you know, CRM better on, on mobile and like, but those are being driven by the users and, and their product roadmaps are being driven by by the end users. Right. And I think that's where there's this sort of revelation now of like, you know, how, how is that changing? Right. And, and I think the the alignment is, is what we really need to try and you know, yeah. smooth. Right. If we can get to the stage where either what we're introducing aligns with how people are working yeah. or people suddenly go, wow. That's like sliced bread, but better, you know, and they want to change to that. You know, as soon as you put a barrier in and, and you know, we, we touched on antibodies earlier, you we're actually creatures of habit. And, and, and the last thing you want to try and do is tell a user or a consumer, you know, don't do it like that. Do it like this, because because people go, well, no, um, I mean, I'm just going to take a, a, a Topical example, but less about enterprises. You autonomous cars. Actually, as recent as probably you know, you know, five years ago, if you said to someone, "Are you comfortable getting into the driving seat of the car and letting it drive itself?" How many people would have said, "Oh, absolutely." 
I mean, you get in the car and you go, I'm, I'm driving. The last thing you want is for something else to be you know, steering for you. Now, because we've accepted the capabilities of autonomous you know, driving, actually people are, are over the moon about it and, and, and is adoption it a, is, is going to grow. And is it still a car then, right? And is <laughs> it, are, you, are you still going to uh, sit at the back? And stare at the seat in front of you um, versus something else. A horseless carriage. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is if you look at organizations that have large organizations that have 20, 50, 100,000 employees, you know, think about autonomous cars in the sense that you're trying to move 300 million people in the U.S. to have that mentality, like, the you know, the inertia and the willpower required to do that. Try doing that as as a senior executive at a business with 50,000 people and trying to convince every single person in that business, hey, we're going to change. Our business is going to change. Our technology is going to change and we're going to move towards a better. That's it's not an easy task. Well, and, and so building upon that and Mark, something that uh, you've worked on over the past many years in terms of uh, workplaces and workforces and, you know, and all sorts of interesting things around digital transformation, it seems like. There's no one um, magic bullet to digital transformation when you're looking at some of the traditional industries. I mean, it seems that, you know, you can, uh, going back to your comment about mobile, Mike, that while you push up the mobile um, uh, vector, you've also got the cloud vector and you've got the security vector. And, and you have to do a little bit of this Lego of all these things sequencing in the right way. And so with some of your experience with, uh, with with industries, do you think that some of the traditional industries that um, we often, you know, talk of as perhaps not being as progressive, um, is that, first of all, is that a misconception when we think of oil and gas, when we think of insurance? Um, do you think that these, uh, these companies and these industries really want to be progressive, but it's sort of just this, this mismatch almost of, you know, um, an alignment, if you will, between what the technology companies are selling and what they're actually looking for? I think sometimes we do have the situation where the, the witness is led, right? You um, you need one of these because it's it's the latest, greatest widget, right? And, and unfortunately, that Im- impacts employees as much as anything else because then they're bringing it in and there will be viral adoption. But I think that, you know, every industry has um, you know, benefits potentially unrealized around digitization, but actually around uh, automation, around um, you know, understanding what's core to their business versus contextual, right? We used to have, you, know, you know, actually, I don't want to let go of that because for some reason I think it's really important to me often it's very important to the people who are involved in it, right? It's actually my job that we're talking about. Um, Turkey's voting for Thanksgiving, I think, is the best analogy I have, <laughs> right? Um, but I think that you, know, as, we, as we force people or, or guide people, because some of this is about actually you need them to volunteer to get on the bus, we need to guide them in a, in a structured or curated process where they actually can understand what is their core value. What is the the core value maybe of an organization, of a process? And it doesn't matter whether it's insurance or or deep sea exploration. 
you know, there will be opportunities to to refine or, or you know, balance it out. Just coming back to autonomous cars for a second, you know, we've had a lot of conversations in the media over the last year or two about using drones to deliver things. Well, why aren't we using little Google pods to deliver things? Because I can program a route, a, a route and or route, a route. I can program a route. And it understands the traffic, it understands what it's carrying, and it just pushes it out the back. And, and that, to me, sounds a lot easier than trying to fly and navigating you know, weather conditions and other vehicles and, and the like. So there is innovation that perhaps is blue sky, but there's something in between that still delivers benefit. To that point, I mean, there's been a couple startups that have actually still using Google Glass. I mean, everyone thought it went away, right? Actually, there are, there are a few companies out there at, working in medical sciences, for example, or healthcare that are using Google Glass. And I mean, HoloLens is another example we were talking about earlier, where um, and you know, HoloLens just came out, and you look at the material of what HoloLens is saying, and it's the, the commercial of HoloLens Enterprise, or whatever they call it. It's pure like this is solves business problems right and it it's it's interesting because i think actually google glass mistakenly actually created that market which is that we can put visors and do you know do ar right yeah away from the the public glare because the consumer uh, version of google glass got so much public whiplash that they said well let's just throw it into the warehouses and in, in an interesting way, I actually think that uh, companies like the ones you just spoke about, uh, which are repurposed Google Glass versions, um, and, you know, the Ethereum Labs and, and those sorts of companies, that whole generation of companies will shape the user experience of commercial eyewear for the next few years. And my guess is that's what's going to then be made available back to consumers, but It'll be a shape and form and message that people do not perceive as threatening. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with Google Glass, you had this perception that people want to punch the guy in the face. <laughs> right. um, but, but that's actually as much the cultural you know, catch-up and, and then adoption. And I think that, you know, even, um, uh, you know, showing my age a little bit, you know, uh, the mobile phone with Bluetooth, Bluetooth headsets people would be going, oh, my God, he, he's a bit weird or they're a bit weird. They've still got their headset on out in, in the street, right? And admittedly, that is a little bit further ago. But it's amazing how as soon as it became okay, everyone does it, yeah. right? And I think even within the enterprise, we have the same the same challenge, right? You know, um, is it acceptable to wander the corridors you know, on your headset? And, and you know, 10 years ago, the answer would have been no. You'd have had people throwing things at you. And now the answer is yes. I think similarly, we're going to get to the stage where you, you don't need an engineer to turn up at your desk to fix something. Either you will put on you know, augmented you know, wearable with some technician remote maybe even different country, who is guiding you. And then we go to a stage further of why does it need to be a person guiding you? Because it can actually be you know, automation guiding you. Uh, because we can then bring up both the reference material, the imagery. We can show you, you, know, you even down to uh, instrumenting the, the tools that you use. And 
And I think we're going to get to that stage very quickly, right? It won't be people, you know, the expertise will become more automated and maybe, you know, higher value um, as people start being able to merge it through how technology can you know, be additive. Yeah. I think the, the, the point I picked up on there too is that uh, for organizations, you need to have leadership that has a technology that has technology leadership, right? Because if you look at how things get adopted in the consumer market, it's usually that there's trends that happened and they're by influencers say, this is what, you know, everybody, you know, influencers will have the jawbone on their, their ear back in the day when everybody had the, the headsets, right? Which nobody does anymore. Um, same thing in an organization, right? Because you've got I think what's being demanded more and more is that executives are going to have to have a part of their philosophy is going to have a technology piece, just as if it doesn't matter what team you're organizing. If you have a P&L, you have a P&L, right? You can be working for a manufacturing company or a technology company or a telecom company. You have to have an ability to understand how a P&L works. I think what is also going to happen going forward is that those same people are going to have to understand what is possible with technology. And how do I get my workforce and my group of people, my 20 or 200 or 2,000 people, on the same page with using technology? Well, almost changes the way you then market and sell that technology as a technology right. vendor, right? Uh, the uh, there's, a, there's a whole article yesterday or sometime this month with uh, Aaron Levy at Box talking about how yeah. he's like, well, we should not call them salespeople anymore. We should call them something else because it seems that in most companies, there are already groups using in their case, box. Um, and then when they go have that conversation with the central procurement, they're saying, well, do you want to maybe <laughs> structure something across <laughs> right. all these all these groups? Um, so this idea that, uh, going back to something we started the podcast with when you were talking, Mark, about uh, the buyer buying something and then doing a one-year rollout as more and more SaaS eats up more of the, the traditional marketplace, this idea of waiting for six months to even see what somebody um, in headquarters purchased is not going to happen as much. I think there are a couple of points there that actually we've already started on. I think you, you got one there, right? You, the, the, the old or the traditional view of that value chain is seller and buyer, which is a very short Transactional value chain, and really, you know, the you know, to Aaron Levy's uh, you know, perspective, maybe the seller actually needs to be the enabler of the extended value chain, and we see that with you know, post sales and consulting, though often with a dollar figure associated with it. But but then you need to you know, have um, almost sort of affinity groups that you can work with within the organization. And I think that's where you can bring in whether it's security or the user group or the business group or the developers or the administrators. But you you, you need them all on board because, I mean, security is a, a, a great one. No one says, give me more security and a more painful way of you know, getting work done. Yet, actually, everyone wants to be secure, right? Um, you know, a friend of mine and I were talking about you. Know, what's the best you know, policy around password? Is it change it every week, change it every month, make it forty characters long, and never you know, never repeating? The answer is probably no to all of those. 
I'm not yet convinced biometrics is the answer either. Um, I've seen pictures of me you know, 20 years ago, and I wouldn't be able to unlock the PC if if time had changed. But but you know that's where you know, maybe the pendulum is still in security and cybersecurity's hands, not yet in the user's hands. And we need to you know, by bringing affinity groups together that span the stakeholders, we can start building the value. I love the example of security just simply because uh, it seems that as the you know the devices multiply, you know we're a lot of the barrier to mobilization, a lot of the barrier to AR will be that if it's if it's not fully secure, companies are just not going to adopt. But my favorite quote is there was some sort of prominent security expert, and he I think he tweeted out at some point. He said, "He goes, I gave up. Security's hard." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you would never hear that from any other you know professional in in, in the light. Let's say. Yeah. I think the the other thing that we're seeing is uh, transformation uh, approaches. And I think the the big bang, the I'm going to have a multi-year army of people come and help you move you from A to B. I think that's yesterday, right? I think we, we can hopefully close the chapter on that and that we're moving to more, you know, um, iterative. Uh, iterative, but also blended, right? So, you know, as you know, Ahmed, we've been talking about uh, Windows 10 for a couple of years now, even before release. Um, but I don't think anyone's going wholesale. Absolutely every device has to go from you know, whatever version they're on to 10. But there are some users that, well, hey, they should go tomorrow. I mean, they're, they're low risk. It's not about low productivity or, or, or anything else. It's actually their low business risk. They're, they will be able to keep being as productive or more so you know, on the new model. And I think that we're going to see that not just around you know, Windows or, or whatever. I think we're going to see that around everything. And in fact, you know, in some ways, one of the things that Android really has to get smarter about is, is their adoption rate is still very, very poor. You know, the, the, you know Apple, I'm sure, has some great statistics on you know how within two weeks they're already in high double digit you know, adoption rate, and and Android you know, a year later is probably sort of struggling to get to this you know, half that amount. That's right. I mean, my final kind of comment in the question was this: right, affinity groups is something we hadn't actually spoken about in the past, and I love that idea because I'm thinking that. Uh, you know, we have to use the word analyst at least once in this presentation, right? <laughs> that, uh, what analysts call bimodal IT, I think for users is really bipolar IT, yeah. right? And that's because it's just dealing with a lot of this uh, psychological, uh, not only use the word trauma, but just the stress of adoption. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I'm going to take away from this podcast is the idea that we do affinity groups and help groups and these things in every other space. But we assume that, with technology, it's just going to sort of take care of itself, and that may that may not be true. My question for you would be that if you rewind the clock back, and you were, um, you know, eighteen year old today, and you just entered Silicon Valley, or let's just say you were sixteen years old to round things off nicely in twenty sixteen, what would be the what's the technology you might choose to pursue in the enterprise? I think that that today's enterprise, uh, and as much because the the amount of time it takes to move the generations through the workforce, it, but if you could start a brand new enterprise of of a significant size, but with people all of the same thing, 
it would be different in in many ways. I think we'd have we'd have elevated from. I don't care who made the network. I don't care uh, whose hardware I'm using. Actually, I probably don't care what operating system I'm using. And it's all really about the services, right? You, you, and I'm taking SaaS actually up a level. So it's actually service or solution as a service rather than software as a service. So it's it's about integration with the context. It's about... I don't want to be the one who takes, you know, this CRM and that ERP system and that, you know, enterprise data warehouse and, and, and integrate them. I want to be able to consume from, you know, service APIs. I don't want to think about I've run out of disk space. I think that's the big difference now. We aren't resource constrained. We are perhaps time bound, right? Time we still haven't been able to stretch. But I think our imagination, and if we can start plug things together, proper plug and play, actually, you'll find the creativity will just will grow. But because we're using abstracted services, whether it's hardware or software, actually, there's a, a there's a future proofness to it, right? If I talk about cloud, but don't put whoever's brand in front of it, that's great. Yeah, if I can grab your you know, the demographics, you know, from here or here or here, again, I'm, I'm just building based on data uh, and contextual information to create business analytics. And I think that then means I can do more. So I, th- I think we'll, um, I think that's a great sort of point to, to end on. So Mark, really appreciate your time here. This has been great. I think we could go on for probably another day <laughs> between the three of us. Um We'll leave you kind of last last thirty seconds. Um, how do people find out about what you're doing here at HP? Um, if they get in contact with you, Twitter, or whatever, what's the best way to, to find out? I I, I do try and uh, get out and about uh, on Twitter. It's uh, M three Wilkinson, um, uh, where I try and add value to everything I put out there. Um, uh, but actually, we've uh, we've put together a, a website called Transform My Enterprise, and you know I think that some of what we've talked about today and the, and the barriers to transformation, the barriers to adoption, you know, I wouldn't say we've got every answer, but it's you know it's some of our thoughts about how we we get people there. Cool, fantastic. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mark.